Our first reading today is Matthew chapter 12, verse 46 to 50, and we'll continue the reading with Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 to 21. Matthew chapter 12, verse 46. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brother stood outside, wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, Your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 to 21. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. This is God's word. Jolie, thanks for reading for us. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. We don't often say that kind of thing, do we? It sounds very slightly quaint, but we could. Uh, It's a way the Bible often speaks of church as God's family, brothers and sisters. You'll need to be in uh, page 978 in Matthew 12. For those that don't know me, I'm Simon Pedley, one of the, the ministers here. And we're going to be looking at those last few verses of Matthew chapter 12. Let me pray for us as we do that. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that these words on these pages are your words, words that we long for you to write on our hearts, words that we long for you to take and uh, embed deeply in our lives so that we might live by them and glorify you more. In Jesus' name, amen. So who is your family? Uh, I guess you could answer that in two ways, couldn't you? You could talk about your physical family, your brothers and sisters, your parents, perhaps your spouse, your children. Or you could talk about church family. And uh, both of those levels of family are here in this room. All of us are members of physical families in some way. And uh, together, Jesus' followers are a a spiritual family in God's household. And the the two intersect in a, a gathering of people like this. And in our passage today, Jesus' 
physical and spiritual families intersect, or rather they, they kind of collide in a slightly awkward moment, which we'll get to in a second. Now, if I were to say to you that the Bible is pretty positive about spiritual families, that would, that would qualify as a, an understatement deserving of some kind of prize. Uh, the Bible backs family relationships in every sense, in a way that outshines every other writing or culture or social movement that there's ever been. It's as positive about physical family as you can get. More pro-family than societies which are famous for being pro-family. I don't know who registers in your mind as uh, the most uh, big on family groups in the world. Maybe the Italian mafia. They're they're known as being big on family, aren't they? Or uh, London's old-time East End gangsters. You know, the kind of people who are happy to do away with anyone who gets in their way. But when it comes to family, there's an unshakable loyalty. And we'll see in a moment that Jesus himself acknowledges that Often, even the criminals of society treat their families well. All of which might make these verses slightly uncomfortable reading. Doesn't it feel, I don't know if you picked this up as we read, as if Jesus is being rather casual and dismissive towards his physical family? So verse 46 of chapter 12, page 978. Jesus is mid-speech when his mother and brothers arrive. Now, by the way, Jesus had uh, brothers and sisters. I don't know if you were aware of that. Uh, some people uh, are surprised by that. Uh, we know of his parents, Mary and Joseph. We talk about them every year at Christmas. Um, but the Bible also mentions that Jesus had, uh, I guess, younger siblings. One place that they're mentioned you might want to just flick to is uh, one page forward in chapter 13, verse 54. Uh, When Jesus goes to his hometown in verse 54, people are amazed by his power and his teaching. And in verse 55, they say, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters here with us? So Jesus had a a pretty big set of siblings, uh, four brothers and a number of sisters. I don't know what counts for you as a big family. Four brothers, at least two sisters, plus Jesus. That's seven at minimum. Uh, That's a big family in my book. And now that we've got one son, two is a big family in my book. Um, But uh, these these brothers and sisters and uh, mother of Jesus arrive mid-speech. And someone lets Jesus know that they're at the door waiting for him. It's one of those moments where someone hands the speaker a little card and he has to interrupt his speech and say, will the person with the red VW please go and move it from outside? Jesus gets the note about his family waiting outside at the door. And before he goes to see them, he says that line in verse 48. You want to know who my family are, he says, who my brother and my mother and sisters are? They're my disciples. I don't know if you get the impact of that. My my parents were here in church last weekend. Imagine if my mum had been trying to find her way to talk to me, and I'd been in a conversation with somebody, and as I notice her coming towards me, imagine if she'd overheard me saying, you know who who my mum is, who my family is? It's these people over here, pointing away from her. That could potentially be very hurtful. Uh, With no other context than that, you might think I was being deeply rude, disrespectful, thoughtless, 
If you have any idea how wonderful my mum is, you'd be leaping to her defence if I were to do that. Now, on one level, the confrontational aspect of these verses is expected at the end of this chapter. It's been confrontational all the way through. Uh, The backdrop for this little conversation is Jesus needing to defend himself against the leading Pharisees who have been falsely accusing him of law-breaking and of being in league with Satan. And essentially, throughout the chapter, he's been putting a, a black and white choice in front of people. He's been saying, you're either with me or you're against me. Or as verse 30 of chapter 12 says, if you're not with me, you are against me. He's drawing a line on one side of which are his followers, those who accept him and come to him. They are in. But on the other side are those who irrationally reject Jesus, who won't come to him no matter how much evidence they see. And they are out, says Jesus. It's a very stark division, in or out. When you encounter Jesus, it is our reaction to him that determines whether we are in or out in this sense. And this morning's passage brings that whole in or out uh, discussion to a conclusion in terms of family. Again, making that stark contrast. You're either in Jesus' spiritual family in this kingdom sense, or you're not. You can see the point he's making, but why does he draw his family in with, with such apparent callousness? So a little bit unusual this morning. We're, we're going to spend some of our time making sure we know what Jesus isn't saying about family before we open up what Jesus is saying. Before we can rejoice in being members of Jesus' spiritual family, it's worth spending some time looking at his attitude towards his physical family and what the Bible says about that. So let's do that. Here's what Jesus isn't saying, first of all. And we need to say two things. He's not saying that physical family can be disrespected, and he's not saying that they can be displaced. Let's just take those two in turn. First, he's not saying physical family can be disrespected. Whatever Jesus is doing, we can't conclude that he's going against the overwhelmingly positive teaching of the whole Bible about families. That's a a basic principle of Bible study. You don't take one verse and interpret it in a way that conflicts with everything else the Bible says. So let me just demonstrate something of the strength of the Bible's positive teaching about family. We could go to any number of places in the Bible to look at this. Uh, We could go to the opening chapters of Genesis where God uh, establishes the whole idea of marriage and parenthood and families. Uh, He didn't have to do it that way. He could have set up the world differently so we just popped into existence randomly or or grew on trees. or, or He could have done anything. But he chose that essential to who we are would be being in physical families. Uh, We could go to the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother, do not commit adultery. We could go to the the letters of the New Testament. Uh, Paul and Peter and John write repeatedly about family. Uh, We read Colossians chapter 3 just now as an example. We saw the centrality of relationships there between husbands and wives, between parents and children. But uh, to make this point most clearly, I want to take us to what Jesus himself says right here in Matthew's Gospel. Uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, the, uh, the first big block of Jesus' teaching. Uh, this is chapters 5 to 7 of Matthew's Gospel. Let me give you examples in three areas where Jesus gives us incredibly high standards, counterculturally high standards for family life. 
Uh, Let me show you what Jesus says about relationships between siblings, brothers and sisters, between marriage partners, husbands and wives, and between parents and children. So uh, hopefully we'll be able to see a lot of this on the screen. Uh, About siblings, Jesus says this. Chapter 5, verse 22. I tell you that anyone who's angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Ouch. On the face of it, that is pretty terrifying. Now, don't worry for the wrong reasons. Uh, Jesus isn't condemning us for every little moment of uh, friendly banter where there's an exchange of insults. And I don't think he's condemning the need to rebuke a brother in strong terms when that is needed and the loving thing to do. But these words, raka and fool, are, are terms of contempt. And to treat your sibling, your brother or sister, with contempt is something deeply serious, says Jesus, worthy of judgment, needing of God's forgiveness. And later Jesus adds this, If you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? And by implication, Jesus thinks that showing appropriate honor and respect to your siblings is so basic an element of godly living that he can assume everyone in the world has a a conscience about that that will tell them to value and uphold sibling relationships. Now these... Words are more of a challenge to our society, I think, than they were to uh, the society of Jesus' day. We're, we're much more used to social independence and mobility. Uh, that maintaining sibling relationships is more complex for us often. Uh, and sometimes it's easy to treat it as a, a, an optional extra in a busy, fragmented life with lots of commitments. And if things go wrong and relationships slide between brothers and sisters... It's all too easy to just let that happen. Well, if there is a rift between you and a brother or a sister, Jesus would say, do everything you can to heal that rift. He was resolutely pro-sibling relationships. So that's siblings. Now, about marriages, Jesus says this. Again, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, you've heard it said that uh, uh, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And later on in the same chapter, verse 31, it has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. The exclusively faithful relationship within marriage is to be guarded at all costs, says Jesus. On the one hand, staying faithful is paramount and is not just measured externally by whether you've slept with another person, but internally by whether you've looked lustfully at another man or woman, whether in real life or on TV or in a magazine or on a computer. And on the other hand, staying together is essential. There was a a very familiar cultural change going on in Jesus' day. Uh, the legal authorities were making it easier and easier and easier to have a very quick divorce. And does that sound familiar? Apparently, uh, this summer, Liz Hurley uh, was divorced. Uh, she had a quickie divorce, and uh, she had a legal hearing here in London that lasted for, wait for it, 92 seconds. Jesus made no concession to that 
prevailing culture of breaking up families easily. He was resolutely pro-marital faithfulness at every level. So that's siblings and marriages. What about parents and children? Jesus says this. Uh, He says, Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Caring for children assumes Jesus, is uh, another basic universally understood value that God has put in everyone's conscience. Now, humans do that so imperfectly, just as we do sibling relationships. Some human parents do it disastrously. There'll be a range of experience here. But pretty much everyone agrees, at least in principle, that parents should love their children. And God the Father is a perfect parent. He is our model for parenting. And Jesus later cites the the fifth of the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother. He was resolutely pro-parent-child relationships. So siblings, marriages, parents and children, Jesus, more than anyone else who's ever walked this earth, puts premium value on family relationships. And that is the, the context of these events in chapter 12. We need to see his comments in that light. There is no godly way to disrespect your family. Whatever hard conversations there are, whatever difficult things need to be said, siblings and parents and children and spouses need to be treated with love and respect, always. Not only that, but secondly, Jesus isn't saying that physical family can be displaced. They can't be disrespected, but they can't either be displaced We've all heard horror stories of cults who operate by severing family relationships. A friend of mine has family members who are in a very, very exclusive branch of the Brethren uh, Church, a very isolationist branch of that. Now, I should say very, very few Brethren groups are like this these days. But uh, in this friend of mine's family, there's a particular person who is permitted by their brethren assembly to visit his physical family once a year. And on that visit, he is allowed to stand on the doorstep and invite his family to join that particular assembly of brethren. And if, as they say every year, they say no, he then has to walk away. That is how some groups, some cults operate, by dividing people from their families. Uh, It's a horribly sad situation. But in lesser ways, in church circles more like ours, some people's experience is that friends join a church and then neglect their physical families as a result. Now, obviously, in anyone's life, there's a limited amount of time and responsibilities to be juggled, but... Could Jesus be suggesting that family relationships and responsibilities should basically be displaced by the church? Now, we'd be rightly repulsed if that were so. It would go against the whole Bible's teaching. And again, we can look at Jesus' own teaching in Matthew's Gospel about this. Here's Matthew 15, uh, verses 4 to 6. Jesus is speaking. Jesus says, citing the fifth commandment. God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. 
But you, the Pharisees, say that if, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me financially is a, a gift devoted to God, he is not to honor his father with it. Thus, you Pharisees nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Did you see what's going on here? The, the Pharisees are encouraging people to give financially to religious stuff, to the work of the temple, even if it means neglecting parents who are in desperate need of care. And Jesus won't have any of it. He won't allow a simplistic view which says commitment to God trumps commitment to family whenever there's uh, a choice. And that is precisely because God has commanded our commitment to families. Commitment to family is part of our commitment to God. So if your parent is destitute, don't ignore them in order to give to the church. If there's a family emergency on a night in the week when you're expected to uh, attend something at church, don't neglect that responsibility to go to hospital with them, whatever it might be. Even as Jesus died on the cross, he was making sure that his mother, Mary, would be properly cared for. Uh, this is John 19:26. Jesus entrusted her to the Apostle John's care. His spiritual commitment to die for the sake of the world didn't override his commitment to care for his mother. So coming to Jesus doesn't mean that your physical family becomes displaced as a sort of inconvenient sideshow or an unspiritual distraction. Uh, quite the opposite, uh, a husband or a wife that comes to Christ should be even more committed to their spouse than before. There should never be a hint of withholding love from someone in your family because they're not part of the, the Christian club. How could that ever commend Christ to anyone? So being in the, the same physical family as a Christian should be, in principle, better in all kinds of ways. Followers of Jesus should be more faithful, more humble, more open, more loving to our, our siblings, our parents, our children, our spouses than we would have been otherwise. So there's what Jesus isn't saying. He's not saying that following him means physical family can be disrespected or displaced. So let's look at what he is saying. Here's the, the heart of it. His followers are a new family and anyone can be adopted. His followers are a new family. It's a different kind of family. And the whole point of Jesus' interaction here is to point out what gets you in and what doesn't. What gets you in, what qualifies you, is verse 49, being a disciple. Being a disciple qualifies you for Jesus' spiritual family. And what doesn't get you in is, well, anything else. Anything else at all. Jesus' kingdom family is made up of disciples or followers, people who, in the words of verse 50, do the will of the Father in heaven. Now, that might sound complicated and forbidding. What does it mean to do the will of the Father in heaven? Have I done that? But remember how Jesus described it at the end of chapter 11. He said there, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. It's so simple, in a sense, to do the will of the Father in heaven. Just come to Jesus. But you have to come. You have to come to him. Nothing else gets you in. 
It's pretty popular today to say about everyone in the world, we're all God's children. We're all his family. And of course, that is true in in a, a limited sense. We all owe our origins to him, the fact that we exist to him. But there's a very, another very important sense in which we're not God's children. We're not in his family if we're walking away from Jesus, rejecting him and holding him at arm's length. Now here is where Jesus' physical family come in. They were related to him physically, but even they needed to come to him and follow him. Now we know that initially they were confused by Jesus and even resistant to him. Let me just show you a little bit of evidence for that uh, on the screen, hopefully. When Jesus, aged 12, went to the temple and was lost by his parents temporarily, he said to them, uh, didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he was saying to them. So Mary's trying to understand, but she can't put everything together. In John 7, verses 3 to 5, Jesus' brothers say to him, You ought to leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples may see the miracles you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret, Jesus. Since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. And then the writer of John's Gospel, John the the Apostle, adds this comment. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. They saw his miracles much like the Pharisees, yet wouldn't personally put their trust in him. Preferring to goad him unhelpfully like this about going and and being a showman in Jerusalem. Even more tellingly, we actually know why Jesus' family arrived at this house in Matthew's Gospel. Uh, Mark 3, 5 gives us background to it. Uh, It says, Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. For they said, He is out of his mind. Now here is... The tragedy that Jesus is pointing to by these awkward comments, there's a terrible danger that his physical family will be separated from him spiritually. And he wants everyone, including his own family, to wake up to the need to follow him, to become his disciple. Now think for a second about all the the ways people uh, imagine that they might be connected to Jesus. Last week we talked about being from a Christian family or from a a so-called Christian country. What about being baptized? That does it, doesn't it? What about regular attendance at church? Surely that gets us into Jesus' family. What about taking the Lord's Supper? Doesn't that get you in? Or or serving? Who did the coffee this morning? Surely doing the, the coffee or operating the PA or the PowerPoint? That must get you in. All of those are marks of being in rather than out, aren't they? Well, let's ramp it up. What about not being just here on Sundays, but midweek, being in a home group? That must guarantee that you're in Jesus' family. Coming to the monthly prayer meeting, that must do it. Being an elder. Well, I can trump all of that. What about being a Church of England minister? That must do it, mustn't it? Um, Can you imagine what Jesus' physical family would have said to us? They would have said, we can trump all of that. We're his brothers. We're his sisters. We're his parents. Surely no one can be more closely related to Jesus than us. If anyone's in the inner circle, it must be us, Jesus' family would have said. And Jesus is saying, no. Incredibly, not even his nuclear blood family is automatically in. If even they must become disciples, then no one is exempt from that demand. We must follow 
We must be with Jesus to be in his family. If we're not, then we're against him and outside. And so having made that distinction, Jesus issues the invitation. And that is our our final point. Anyone can be adopted. That word in verse 50 is enormous. Whoever. You can't get a a more expansive, far-reaching word than whoever. It's inviting. It's welcoming. When Jesus points to his disciples in verse 49... The word, uh, the original word means he stretched out his hand. He's not just indicating something limiting, you must follow me to be in my disciple. He's also issuing an invitation to everyone who's listening. Whoever, come and follow me, any of you, and you can become my my brother, my sister, my mother. I read a, a story recently, a very silly but rather endearing Terry Pratchett story called Truckers. I don't know if any of you read that. It's about a bunch of gnomes who live in a department store. Go with it. Uh, Now, these gnomes, they live in a department store, and they don't believe the world outside exists. For them, the department store is is it. There's nothing else. And they're a lovely family. They're very sweet. Uh, But they're in terrible danger because the store is going to be demolished. And their only hope is to, to get together on a lorry and be taken away from the store before it's all demolished. And it's all been arranged for them. It's so simple. All they need to do is get on the lorry. And the only thing holding them back is their skepticism about the outside world. They just don't believe it exists. And so all the way through this little story, there's agony and there's argument and frustration and division. But one by one, family by family, uh, they're persuaded. And they go and get on the lorry. And at the end of the book, there's this lovely little picture of a tiny little bunch of gnomes on a lorry, all going to safety. And looking up at the big open sky and going, wow, it really existed after all. Stupid little illustration, but nothing needs to hold you back. Come to Jesus. Anyone can can get on that lorry and together as a family be rescued. Now, maybe Jesus' family, standing at the door, maybe they heard his words and saw his invitational gesture. Maybe they realized that there was an invitation there. And you know uh, what the wonderful thing is? Eventually, they came. Uh, We need to finish the story of Jesus' family. Uh, Let me show you uh, a few verses on screen about that. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 says, uh, Jesus was buried, he was raised on the third day, then he appeared to James. The context tells us that is James, the, the Lord's brother. Uh, Acts chapter 1 says, After Jesus' suffering, he showed himself to the apostles and gave many proofs that he was alive. They all joined constantly together in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. This is the last time Mary's mentioned, but it seems almost certain that the beginning of Luke's gospel relies on her account of uh, the birth of Jesus. And then uh, in 1 Corinthians 9, the Lord's brothers are are listed as ministers along with the apostles. And uh, Acts and Galatians show that James, the brother of Jesus, became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. James is probably the author of the biblical book of James. And uh, the book of Jude is probably written by one of the other brothers. Now, why go through those details? Well, 
An aside and then the main point. The aside is this. Isn't it reassuring to know that Jesus' own family came to believe in him? If anyone had private access to information that would disprove his divinity or his messiahship, surely they were the ones. And they clearly weren't gullible people. Their early skepticism shows that they weren't easily won over. I don't know about you, I find that comforting, (laughs) that they eventually came to believe. But the main point is this. Anyone, anyone can be adopted. Even the most proudly resistant people. Let's illustrate this. I, I hadn't had this thought before this week. But imagine the first conversation between Jesus and his brother James after the resurrection. Imagine... They meet for the first time after Jesus died and rose again. And and for the first time in years, James looks Jesus in the eye and says, Okay, Jesus, big brother, I'm so sorry for holding out on you. I just didn't want to worship you as God. Who who would want to worship their big brother as God? But I, I can't deny it anymore. Please let me come to you. Please let me follow you. I want you to be my brother in a better sense, in a permanent, eternal sense. And I I don't know what happened at that meeting. I imagine in my mind a a huge bear hug, uh, one of the biggest of all times, and probably uh, tears being shed. And whatever awkwardness between them uh, was finally destroyed. And displaced from that moment on by a relational closeness and trust that could never be taken away. Nothing needed to hold James back. He just needed to come. Nothing needs to hold you back. You just need to come. Jesus' own family finally realized that they were on the outside and needed to come in. And they came in. Anyone can come, even the skeptical brother that's spent his life pushing Jesus away. Anyone can come, even the Pharisees who've been so antagonistic all the way through this chapter. We know of several who did come to Jesus. The Apostle Paul was one of them. Anyone can be adopted. So two things as we finish. Join the family and be the family. Join the family. Maybe you've always thought that you're in by default. For whatever reason, you imagined that Jesus wouldn't exclude you when it comes to his kingdom, either because you're such a good person in your books or because of your Christian connections in some way. I hope you see from this, you can't make that assumption if not even Jesus' own physical mother and brothers and sisters could make that assumption. If even Mary, the mother of Jesus, needed to put her trust in him and follow him, then so does everyone else. You can't assume you're in. But nothing needs to keep you out. It doesn't matter how long you've spent resisting Jesus, like his brother James. It doesn't matter how often you've used his name as a swear word or spoken against Christians or avoided church. It doesn't matter how much pride you need to swallow, how much of a climb down it would be to come to Jesus. If you just come to him, he won't hold any of that against you. He will welcome you as as a brother, as a sister. There'll be a a bear hug from Jesus, metaphorically, and I guess one day in reality, uh, maybe tears as you're welcomed back into the family fold. Join the family. And be the family. When was the last time you thought of yourself as Jesus' 
brother or sister, even as his mother. (laughs) Isn't it amazing that Jesus, God himself, would bring us into relationship with him to that extent? That Jesus would want to say, I'm Rob's brother. I'm Aaron's brother. I'm Phil's brother. I'm, I was going to name a name, I'm someone's mother, but I don't know. That doesn't work, does it? I'm a son. Yes, that works. Uh, Think of all the ways that Jesus could have described us here. Uh, Ways that he does say in other parts of the Bible. His servants, his subjects under his rule, his citizens populating his kingdom, his students sitting at his feet to learn from him, his co-workers serving together in the harvest field, his friends drawn into personal relationship with him. Those things are all true and mentioned elsewhere in the Bible, but here perhaps the most intimate picture of all brothers sisters mothers we're drawn in not just to jesus's extended family but to his nuclear family what a privilege so when you look around this room do you see your family do you see not just fellow church goers but your family in christ This is a place for family relationships between all of us. So let's get to know each other. Let's let the guard down. Let's be absolutely real with one another. Let's share life together. Let's sit down to eat together. Let's make time and space for quality moments together as family. Let's share each other's joys and sorrows. Let's laugh and cry with each other in good times and bad times. If my little sister, my real little sister, my physical little sister was in trouble, there's nothing I wouldn't do to help her. If my physical little boy, Joel, was hurt, I'd be there quicker than you could say anything. Jesus has gone there first for us. He laid down his life for his brothers and sisters. There's nothing he wouldn't do for us. Our big brother, Jesus, gave himself for us. So let's honour him by giving ourselves for each other. Join the family. Be the family. Let's pray. What a privilege it is, Lord, to address you as Father and to count Jesus as our brother. It is extraordinary to be so freely adopted into your family, brought into such close, intimate relationship with you. And Lord, knowing that, would you transform our relationships with one another? Would you help us to count each other as brothers and sisters for whom we would do anything, for whom we would lay down our lives because Jesus has laid down his life for us? And would that bring great glory to you? Amen.